So tonight we're going to talk about a subject called what's in your hand. Right now, what do I have in my hand? I have an iPad and I've got a stand. What is in your hand? When God showed Moses, when God showed Moses the rod in his hand, he learned this was all he needed, all Moses needed to accomplish everything God sent him to do. God took what Moses did naturally, which is shepherding sheep with the rod of protection in his hand, and God added his super to Moses' rod in the natural, and it became supernatural. God will do the same for you. Partnering with God makes all the difference in the world. God has also placed something into every person's hand on the entire planet. Do you know what it is? Do you know what's in your hand? Let's look at some scriptures. And before we're done teaching tonight, God is going to reveal to you what's in your hand that looks like it's in the natural. But God wants to put his hand on your hand. And he wants to bless the work of your hands, which is your skill set or something he's put in your hand that he wants to add his super to your natural and make it super natural. Exodus 4, 1 through 4, And Moses answered and said, But behold, God, they will not believe me, nor will they hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto you, Moses. And the Lord said unto him, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. You have no idea that which is in your hand is so powerful. Once God begins to add his super to it, and it becomes supernatural, it's life-changing. In fact, the gift within your hands, when God begins to breathe on it, begins to touch it, begins to anoint it, it may scare you at first. When I first began to see God heal the sick, when we would pray for them through Pray, pray for sick people through the laying on of hands. There was like a heat or an energy or an electricity would shoot through my hands when miracles would happen and it would scare me because God added his super to the natural and it became supernatural. Verse four, Exodus chapter four, verse four. And the Lord said to Moses, put forth your hand and take the serpent by the tail. And Moses put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod again in his hand, it turned back into the natural. Moses was unaware that God had preloaded 10 miracles into this same staff or rod of authority. When Pharaoh shall speak unto you saying, show a miracle for you, then you shall say unto Aaron, take the rod and cast it before Pharaoh and it shall become a serpent. Verse 10, and Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh and they did so as the Lord had commanded and Aaron cast down. <clears throat> And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He may work differently through different dispensations, but I'm going to tell you something. Whatever God puts in your hand or whatever is in your hand, he can turn around and add something to it, and it becomes supernatural. Who would think that a shepherd's staff or a shepherd's rod in Moses' hand to tend sheep and to protect the sheep from the wolf would become the very tool that God used Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. Two to three million got delivered because God added his super to Moses' natural instrument in his hand. Moses released 10 plagues by the Holy Spirit, empowerment at the directive of the Lord through that same staff. He, re he released 10 plagues. Number one, water to blood. Number two, frogs. Number three, gnats or lice. Number four, flies. Number five, the, the livestock became disease. Number six, boils. Number seven, thunder and hail. He called thunder and hail from heaven as he put up the rod at the directive of the Lord. Number eight, locusts. Number nine, a gross darkness filled the earth when Moses called forth with the rod in his hand, rod of authority, staff of authority. And number 10, the plague that took out the firstborn 
of everyone in Egypt that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the Passover night over the doorpost and the lentils of the house. Are you under the blood? Are you protected by the blood of the lamb when the death angel comes? Are you in the house? You must stay in the house to be protected. I'm not talking about sheltering in place. I'm talking about the blood of the lamb on your forehead and across you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the house of the Old Testament, the New Testament house. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you're covered by the Psalms 91 protection. For in him you live and move and have your very being. And though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 come at you by your right hand, they will not come near you. They'll fall and they'll, they may pass away, but God has you protected under the blood. Have you applied the blood of the lamb today by faith? Just say, Lord, I apply the blood of the lamb to my forehead, my mind, my will, my emotions. And I speak peace, be still. Peace, be still. And I receive the shalom peace of God on my doorpost and lintels of my physical frame and my spiritual and emotional and mental makeup. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Claim that for yourself. We reject and rebuke and cancel anxiety, fear, and terror of the night. No longer will you wake up in sweats and concern but you will sleep with the peace of God, the shalom peace of God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. As we continue now on what's in your hand, I want to encourage you tonight to take communion. If you'll get a, a cracker and some, some uh, grape juice or any sort of item that would represent the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, anything that you have in your home or at your disposal will suffice because God will honor it because you're using what's in your hand. Amen? Okay, let's continue on. The Bible records using the word hand 1,470 times. 1,470 times, yet how many messages have we heard on the hand? 1,470. That's more pages than it's in the Bible. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Deuteronomy 28, 12. The Lord shall open unto thee as good treasure in the heaven to give rain upon thy land in the season and to bless all the work of thy hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations and thou shalt not borrow. Deuteronomy 28, 12. God blesses the work of your hand. Why does a dishwasher that's blessed by God make less financially than a brain surgeon who's blessed by God when they both do their work? Because one's hands have a different skill set than the other. When the dishwasher who is providing a fabulous service to clean dishes, God blesses the hands. He'll anoint the work of the hand. I've been a dishwasher, I know. I've done it. And there's a way to walk in the blessing of God as a believer in every station of life. And God will bless the work of your hand and turn you into an evangelist and give you joy in the midst. And when the dishwasher drops a dish, it's 50 cents or a dollar or $2 that's lost. When a brain surgeon makes a mistake, it's a life that could be lost. So they have a different skill set and precision is far more important for the brain surgeon than the person who graciously washes dishes. And so if you're a plumber, you make more than the dishwasher, right? And if you're a brain surgeon, you likely make more than, than both of them put together. So God can give you a thousandfold blessing on your dishwashing job that doesn't take long to train for your skill set, the work of your hand, or you could do a hundredfold harvest on a brain surgeon 
and they would make, so I'm just trying to give some illustration, but there's something in your hand and everybody at every time and season and station in life has something in their hand, which is their skill set. And when God blesses it, some 30 fold, some 60 fold, some 100 fold, you might have a thousand fold harvest, or it might be good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall man give back into your bosom. God will breathe on it and bless the work of your hands. People say to me, well, David, if I sow this seed, will I get a thousand fold harvest? Will I get a hundred fold harvest? Well, God doesn't often just give you back funds and finances as some have taught. He blesses the work of your hands. So let's say that you sow a seed in a service uh, that's sacrificial in nature. God will often respond back with a new idea, a witty invention, a business idea, or an opportunity to invest in, and he'll bless the work of your hands. People often sit around waiting for God to bless them in response to the seed that they've sown, but they haven't done the other side, which is gone out and done work for God to then bless the work of their hands. Is this making sense at all? So you, you can get inheritances. You can, you know, get money out of nowhere. We've seen so many things where God's done that. It's not the primary way in which God works. God doesn't often speak through messenger angels and the audible voice of God. Does he speak that way? Yeah, ask Mary. Mary received a messenger angel who spoke to her audibly, and then she showed up pregnant with the Son of God. So does God work that way? He can. He certainly can. Elizabeth had a visit. So it goes on and on. I've had visitation of angels in my life. Is it a normal occurrence? No. Does God speak to me audibly? He's spoken to me audibly on three occasions. As he spoke to me in the still small voice on dozens of occasions. What's the primary way in which God speaks? Through his written word, through the Bible. And so when you read the Bible, is God speaking to you through his love letters? When you speak to God, it's prayer. Prayer is inhaling, ministry is exhaling. And when God speaks back, we get a Holy Ghost acceleration of revelation that sets the course for us to then go to do the work that is set before us in our mantles and in our hands. Now, we're going to talk about a variety of ways in which God moves through blessing the work of our hands. God stilled an evil spirit or silenced an evil spirit through the harp that was in King David's hands. My wife has a tremendous worship gift, and when she begins to play the piano, and she begins to worship in English and in Hebrew, and she also speaks Swedish and some Spanish and some French. When she begins to sing in Hebrew, there's something that happens in the atmosphere when she has the weapon of war with the 88 keys of that piano in her hand. Now, the first time she played that piano, she didn't have the anointing. The skill set increased as she spent time in the presence of God. The first time she used her voice, it wasn't like it is now. Now it stills the avenger, it silences demons, it creates and releases the atmosphere of heaven, it opens portals to where the presence of God rolls into the room and it's easy for people to experience the peace of God that bypasses understanding and fills and floods the soul. You can go to soundsbyjoanna.com, soundsbyjoanna.com, and click on that, and there's songs there. And you can download music there. You can also go to Virtual Church Media on the store link, and you can, you can buy downloadable music there, and you'll experience the work of her hands that God breathed on, and God touched, and he took what she does in the natural, and he put his hands upon her hands, and it becomes supernatural. Now, I can go to the same piano that she plays, and I can even try the same chords and it sounds like plink, plunk, plink, plunk. And she can do it. And it's like, boom, and the, the presence of God rolls in. I have a friend of mine. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He would play the shofar. He'd blow a shofar. He was a Jewish rabbi, Messianic Jewish rabbi. And when he would blow that shofar, deaf ears would pop open. Cancers would disappear. People would get dental miracles when Rabbi Michael Zeitler would blow the shofar. And I I saw bones that were broken in people's feet just get pushed right back into place supernaturally and they were able to run 
on treadmills after that. I saw great miracles. I would blow the shofar because I saw him blow the shofar. And it sounded, when I did it, like a squeaky mouse. (laughs) It was embarrassing. And what's interesting is Rabbi Michael said this to me. He said, David, he said, I've heard you when you pray for the sick and there's a sound that sometimes comes out of you. He says, you have a human shofar. You don't need the physical one. And I said, is that what that sound is when it comes out of me and it sounds like a trumpet? And he said, yeah, you have a human shofar. He said, Lucifer, before he fell from heaven, the tabrets went through him and he had musical instruments inside of him. There's so many facets and categories of gifting that God has given us. He's just so unlimited. And just when we think we figured God out and we've got him in a box in our theological box of reasoning, God has escaped the box and he taps us on the shoulder and back and says, I did it my way. So God stilled an evil spirit through the harp of King David. In 1 Samuel 16, 16, says, let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand and thou shall feel well. When people listen to Joanna's music and they have anxiety or depression or tormenting spirits and they put one of her CDs in or downloadable music, it changes the atmosphere in the room. It stills the avenger, it silences the enemy, lets God arise and the enemies are scattered and people experience the presence and the peace of God. We have many testimonies that we get either online or people share with us of how God uses that music that's captured digitally but releases repeatedly the presence of God, whether live or on video or captured. There was a little boy during the time of Jesus who had two fish and five loaves in his hand. He had a sack lunch. When he partnered with Jesus, see, it's about partnership. Without God, we cannot. And without us, God will not. Why he chose to do it that way, I would not have chose myself. If I was God, thank God, I'm not God. You know, it's not a a, a quartet. There's no fourth position at the table to make decisions for the world. It remains a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for good reason. They've got it together. We don't. I like to say my, my best thinking got me 20 years. So I like to lose my mind to get the mind of Christ, and I think we should all do the same. And if you look back at how much your best thinking got you, you probably realize you need the mind of Christ. So the little boy had two fish and five loaves in his hand when he partnered with Jesus and Jesus put his hands on what the boy had in his hands. It fed 5,000 men plus women and children. God will multiply what's in your hand, won't he? It's amazing, isn't it? God gave the boy back 12 baskets full. When you give to God what's in your hand, he'll multiply it and give you back baskets full when you're led by his spirit at that hour. Matthew 14, 17 through 22. We have only five loaves and bread and two fish. They answered, bring them here to me, Jesus said. And Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. What happened? When Jesus gave them to the disciples, it came into their hands. God loves to pass miracles through other people's hands so that they can see it as well. Don't try to be a one you know, man evangelizing band. And the services that, that, that we are fortunate to host, we love to host the Holy Spirit. We love to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We love to see people get healed. But you know what's the greatest desire and joy for us? Is when we call people up who've never seen the sick healed and we teach them in a matter of five minutes how to lay hands on the sick and God's hands bless the work of their hands, which is laying hands on the sick, invoking the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit 
and their hands often get hot or people experience healing through their hands and they leave with an encounter with Jesus, not an encounter with a minister who knows Jesus that's in the way keeping them from Jesus, but introducing them to Jesus and they leave with Jesus and go into the highways and the byways and they begin to lay hands on the sick and share the love of God as God blesses the work of their hands, their work is their skill set, and the skill set includes thou shalt lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Matthew 16, Mark 16, verses 15 through 20, but specifically, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, you shall cast out devils. We love to cast out and torment devils. It's just fun in the name of Jesus. You know why? Because those demons have been tormenting God's children. So we love to resist the enemy and watch him flee and see that captive set free. We love to lay hands on the sick and see the sick recovered. But what's even greater is teaching others to go do the stuff. Greater works will you do than I, Jesus says, because I go to the Father. You shall lay hands on the sick. How many times is the word hand mentioned in the scripture? 1,470 times in a total of 1,296 verses. Yes. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves, we're in Matthew 14, verse 17 through 21, verse 19, and Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Jesus wants to satisfy you with the bread of heaven. He wants to satisfy your mouth with good things. He wants to give you a cup that runneth over. Do you believe that? It's in the scriptures. And he blesses you that you might be a blessing. What is biblical prosperity? You know, I've got a teaching. It's called uh, 15 Laws of the Harvest. I think 15lawsoftheharvest.com. You can look it up. It's about a two-hour teaching. But it goes into the 15 Laws of the Harvest. And prosperity is really this in a definition. Prosperity is having more than enough to meet the needs of man for their assignment in the earth with a little leftover. So prosperity is you having enough to fulfill, to meet the needs of your assignment with leftover. Now let me give you an illustration. A single mom with three children, she needs prosperity. And that might be enough to meet the needs for her and her three children with leftover. That's prosperity. A person with an orphanage with 300 children might need 100 times that of the single mom. So if the single mom has enough to meet the needs of the three, and she has leftover, she's walking in the overflow and prosperity. If the person who has 300 only has enough to feed 250, they're not walking in the overflow. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the one that had the 300 children they were caring for had enough for 303 and was able to stop by to help the one with the three that couldn't make it? Isn't it wonderful to walk in prosperity to have your needs met for your assignment in the earth with overflow remaining to meet the needs of others around you where the love of God spills out. So prosperity for one person is different than prosperity for another, but prosperity focuses in on this as the primary, having more than enough to meet the needs for you, for your assignment to fulfill your God-given assignment in the earth. Prosperity is not Learjets, Corvettes, and a house by the lake. Although, if for you to fulfill your assignment, that's what you need, God will give it to you. Somebody else might be offended, but if that's your assignment in the earth, God will give it to you and even more. You might be called the high net worth people. You might need the suits. You might need the watch. You might need 
the, the airplane to get there, to run in those circles so that you can go do business with them so that you can then either bring in the funds and the finances out of relationship capital or to rub shoulders and to get business deals done so that you can donate to that orphanage that feeds 300. Don't get it twisted. Recognize others in the body of Christ and ask, Lord, why do they have this or that and I don't? Is their assignment different than mine? Are they doing something different than me? Lord, you said you would bless the work of my hands. And when the work of your hands is blessed, you'll have enough to meet the needs to fulfill your God-given assignment with leftover. And that's biblical prosperity. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, I, the Lord, give it the power to get wealth, but it doesn't end there, to establish my covenant in the earth. His covenant's a covenant of salvation. And when we preach the gospel of salvation and we attach the provision of God with that, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, I, I won a lot of people to Jesus in prison during my 20 years, and I won them through various things. Sometimes I would go, and I, I called it the chunky monkey ministry. And so on, on Thursday night, I would go to the, the commissary, and I would buy food at the commissary, and God blessed me. He blessed the work of my hands. I, I did legal work while I was incarcerated. I, 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 I had a nice little flow. I won a lot of cases from behind bars, and people would buy me tennis shoes. I'd get tennis shoes all the time. They'd go to the store because there wasn't fun. They'd give me stamps, and they'd bring me food out of the kitchen. Whatever they had as their skill set, they would come and lay it at the foot of my bed just because I had a skill set that was maybe more valuable than the average dishwasher in the kitchen. But the dishwasher in the kitchen was valuable to me because they had access to chicken and vegetables, right? And so we all flowed together. And so I was able to write many of them out of prison. One year I won 11 cases from behind bars, 1995 uh, through 96. And, and they, knew, they called me the, the prosecutor slayer or the poison pin. But God had blessed the work of my hands. And he blessed the skill set of me at a typewriter on an IBM Selectric. Back, 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 back. I'd have to backspace and, you know, I'd even have to pull out that little white thing and put it in and backspace and white it out. But I was faithful with that. And then God gave me authority over more to win 11 cases one year in the federal system is unheard of. But then God said, I want you to change seasons. And you know, when you're on a roll in a season and God tells you to shift seasons and he tells you to switch because his hand of blessing is lifting off your skill set as a paralegal or a jailhouse lawyer or the poison pen, whatever they call you. And God then wants you to move into ministry and he had me plant Christian lockers in every unit and he blessed the work of my hands because as God blessed me financially through the legal work, then he had me so into what we referred to as a Christian locker and we would buy shower shoes and shampoo and soap dishes and toothpaste and then we started adding in you know some higher ticket items and guys would come in on the bus or the plane or the train or whatever it was and they'd be wearing a, a jumpsuit and they'd have the blue air gilligan shoes on everybody looked the same that one piece you know stainless steel button thing that all fit different people, different sizes. They look kind of goofy, I know, because I look goofy in mine. And eventually they would get issued clothes. But that first week, they didn't have access to their own property if they were transferred from another facility. They didn't have money. They had access on their books. So they, they had to go with what they had. And the prison didn't provide much. Guess what? God set it up by divine appointment. I took the money that he blessed me from the legal work, and I planted Christian lockers in every unit. And now, as people were blessed the work of our hands, we sewed back into the kingdom. And Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Christians and Catholics and atheists and Satanists and Wiccans and Hindus and Shintus, they would come in and we would give them Christian locker power or shower bag. And they would be in the shower with those shower shoes instead of in the shower with no shower shoes. And that's an important thing in prison. And so what we would do is sometimes we would write on the back of the shoes, John 
or we would put crosses on the back of the shoes with a magic marker. And you could tell the guys that had been blessed with the Christian locker, you'd see them in the shower or coming out of the shower, they'd be walking with their feet and they'd have John 3.16 on the back, Muslims and Hindus. And guess what? They left those things on the back because they were so blessed because they'll know we're Christians by our love and God blessed the work of our hands and guys would go to work at Unicor prison industries and they'd be knocking down far more than the average prisoner at 12 cents an hour. They'd be making 96 cents an hour. They'd be making the big bucks and they'd go to the store and those shower shoes would be $3.25, $3.75 and they'd take their money that they made at prison industries for 120 hours of labor. They made you know 100 and some dollars and they'd take $10 or $15 of that money. They'd give their tithes in prison in they'd go buy things at the commissary and they would bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. You know, they would lay it at the prisoner's feet from the Christian locker and we would put that away. And guards would come and say, you can't have all that, you can't give another inmate anything of value. Another guard would say, leave them alone. Let them do it. They're doing for the prisoners what we don't have the ability to do. So the, the guards would even come to us and say, hey, can you do me a favor? We've got a guy that nobody wants to do anything for. Would you would you hook them up with some stuff out of that, that Christian locker you got? Sure, sure, absolutely. And so the guards would participate because God blessed the work of our hands. We'd have guards come and confiscate all of our Christian locker stuff. Another guard would come on the next shift and, here, Redian, come on in here. Get this stuff out of here. We know what you do with it. We know that you're not doing a two-for-one locker and, you know, pimping people and, you know, getting them to pay you back two-for-one on stuff. We know that you're just giving the stuff away. You don't just give to Christians, you give to Satanists and Muslims. You give to every type of person. And we like what you do. Keep up the good work, we got you covered. And God would bless the work of our hands. And as the prisoners would give into the Christian locker, we have atheists that would give into the Christian locker. And they'd be like, hey, Dave, I talk to you? Sure. Uh, what all kind of stuff you need for the Christian locker? Um, I don't know, shower, shoes, shampoo. Here, fill out a list. I'm like, okay, how much do you want me to put in? $50. Well, $50? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't believe in this you know, God thing or Jesus thing. I don't want to become a Christian. I, but I like what you guys are doing. I like what you're doing, and I'd like to do this once a month. Do you know the atheist sometimes gave more into the Christian locker, and then God would bless them for their obedience to honor the work of God. And then people would come and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Why did you give me that stuff? You, you haven't invited me to church. You haven't browbeat me. You haven't slapped me with the Bible. You haven't, you haven't done anything. Why, would you, you like me to slap you with the Bible? Well, no, no. My mom did that all my life. That's what drove me from church. But you're different. I said, well, your mom loved you more than I do. But your mother's prayers sent the love of God through the Christian locker to you. I want to know more. And they'd get born again because the gospel was attached to the Christian locker through the work of our hands. And God began to prosper the prisoners that sowed into the Christian locker. And they began to get raises at their jobs and promotions. And people would start to send them money from the outside. And they couldn't believe how marvelously they were blessed while they were incarcerated. Their family members would get better jobs and they would come closer to the Lord. But it starts with using what's in your hand. I remember one time the Lord told me to sew a, sew a book of stamps, and I, this is how long ago this was, a book of stamps was 20 stamps. It was $5.60, so stamps were 23 cents a piece. So I sewed $5.60, right? And that's what started me on prosperity while I was incarcerated. And God prospered me while I was incarcerated. He raised people up to send me money. He blessed the work of my hands with legal work. And I started the Christian locker and then it went into the Bible ministry because I got a Bible when I was on my third indictment on the same evidence enjoying my life down in Miami in 1994 to 95. And I'd been born again about four years at that point. And a revival broke out while I'm under my third indictment on the same evidence, already doing 22 years, but God blessed the work of my hands. And I got a leather bound Bible. And as I had this Bible, the Lord told me to give away my Bible. 
And I immediately responded in obedience and said, I rebuke you, Satan. Thou hast not in mind the things of God, but of men. I don't have two. If I had two, I'd give one to the man who has none. I've got one Bible, and I'm not tearing it in half. And I heard these words. Give, and more will be provided. I gave up my Bible that God had given to me because mine was stuck in my property in Colorado and I was in Miami. It'd be 405 days before I got back after that indictment and God delivered me miraculously from that case. And I went back to Colorado and I got my Bible. But in the meantime, God had somebody start sending me $100 a month because God spoke to them to take what was in their hand and send it to me monthly for whatever I wanted to do with it. The big joke was, what are you going to do with the money? Going to buy Zuzus and Wham Whams at the commissary, you know, hostess ho-hos and Twinkies and this and that. But you want to know what I did with that $100? I bought four bonded leather-bound Bibles. And I gave out four more Bibles because God began to bless the five loaves and two fish. He began to bless the one Bible and it became four. Then the four became eight and the eight became more and more and more. And that was 1994, give and more shall be provided. Do you know that was 10,000 bonded leather Bibles ago? If what's in your hand is too small to be your harvest, don't eat it, plant it. As long as it's in your hand, it's the least, as long as it's in your hand, it's the most it will ever be. The minute it leaves your hand when God directs you to give it, it's the least it will ever be. Cast your bread upon the waters not many days, hence it will come back to you. Give a portion unto seven and eight. He blesses the work of your hands. Isn't that exciting? Heart of America Prison Ministries, heartprisonministries.org. We just finished a 220 Bible packing party. So you can go to heartprisonministries.org and watch the video on the homepage. You can see it live or Memorex, whatever it is, and you can see real Bibles going to those on the Bible waiting list. We just did 700 Christmas cards to prisoners. And we're getting wonderful responses back. But, you know, people got together and they wrote those 700 cards. And they were individually handwritten as God blessed the work of their hands. And as those letters come back, prisoners were touched being told, this Christmas, we want you to know, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. I believe people didn't commit suicide this Christmas because somebody used the ink pen in their hand and reminded a prisoner that they were not forgotten. They put a stamp on an envelope to get a card to the prison. I believe as the guards processed that mail and they obeyed, God blesses the work of their hands when Bibles go to prisoners and they go through the mailroom and it gets to the prisoner and the prisoner hears their name at mail call like I did in 1990. I heard, Herobedian 27530-004, you've got mail. And in front of 50 prisoners, they handed me back a Thompson chain, bonded leather, New International Version Bible at the time with all the lights, bells, whistles, study aids, maps. I had no idea what to do with that Bible. But as I went back there, a guy I didn't even know was born again came to me. He says, is that a Thompson chain? I said, I have no idea what it is. He said, let me see that. He goes, do you know what you have here? I said, uh, Bible. He says, no, you don't know what you have. He goes, that's a Thompson chain Bible. It's a reference Bible. It's got study helps and a dictionary. It's got maps. It's got timelines. He says, I don't know who sent that to you, but I'd love to have one of those if I could get one. I said, well, I said, a former prisoner that got out that helped lead me to Christ, he sent it to me. He got out and he got a job. He made money and he took the money he got that God had blessed him with this skill set working at a fish store. And he sent me a bonded leather bound Bible. And I began to read that Bible. Do you know, I went from that Bible to a new King James, from a new King James to a King Jimmy, the old trusty 66 between two fine Corinthian leather covers. And I had that King Jimmy 
James Bible, and I was in Miami when God told me to give it away. You know, God gave me another Bible, and I gave that one away, and another one, and another one, and another one. Finally, somebody sent me a Bible, and they wrote on the inside of it, one to keep. It was in 1995, because I kept giving away my Bibles in 94, and I still have that Bible today. It's a beautiful Spyro Sodiates Greek-Hebrew study key Bible, and you wonder why I quote Greek and Hebrew, because God gave me a hunger and a thirst, and somebody put that Bible in my hands. And then God blessed the Bible study and the work of my hands. And that was 20,000 hours of study ago. And today, the gospel goes out. Why? Because somebody took time to share God's love with me. And then when they got out, they took what was in their hand, their skill set, working at uh, a fish store with aquariums and you know, saltwater fish in Missouri, and they took a portion of their income and they sent me a Bible. And I'm a by, byproduct of that person sharing what was in their hand with me and put a Bible in my hands. And now you have teachings as well, and God is raising you up with the Bible in your hand. So here's what happened. They all ate and were satisfied with that boy's fish and two loaves, five fish and two loaves. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. What about the widow with a handful of flour and a cruise of oil in 1 Kings 17, 8 through 15? You might feel like we've been through a pandemic. Finances are tight. There's, there's been a famine in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, they would go after this story right here. If it was a modern day television preacher or a prophet, they would go after him as a manipulator, a liar, a deceiver, not as one who came at the directive of the Lord to bring a blessing. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon that I might, and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went down to Zarephath. Now, I don't know if God had spoken that to me. I think I'm going to a wealthy woman's home. Wasn't the case. Sometimes God will bless you through the work of somebody else's hands that only has a little bit. And because of what's on your life, it will multiply it and they'll never run out. Because if what's in your hand is too small to be your harvest, it has to be your seed. Don't eat it, plant it. And so here's what happened. So he went to Zarephath. This is 1 Kings 17, verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came down to the town uh, to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Not too much to ask. As surely as the Lord, your God, lives, she replied. She recognized him as a man of God. She recognized the Lord, your God. She didn't say the Lord, our God. She said the Lord, your God. She recognizes this man has a relationship with God and she's saying, I lie not in the presence of your God. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's a sad, tough situation. Here's Elijah's response to her. This is where they would go after him in the modern day media. Elijah said to her, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I might add, at the directive of the Lord, because the Lord had told him, not out of manipulation, but out of a directive of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son second. Wow. God had a setup for her. This was an act of faith. She had to give up her only food by faith. I had to give up my only Bible by faith 10,000 Bibles ago. What if I kept my Bible? I'd probably still have it. There'd be no Bible ministry. God would have given that to somebody else and I never would have known it till I got to eternity. Do you know that sometimes you're never gonna find out till eternity what you and I missed because we didn't obey by using what was in our hand and the moment for God to turn around and to put his hand on it and to take what we have in the natural 
to add his super to it and make it supernatural. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour, see the prophetic anointing came on him. He didn't just tell her to do something. He then spoke the word of the Lord and the supernatural was released. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. Now, remember, this man was prophesying, not prophesying. Sometimes people will prophesy and tell you it's God. Sometimes they're not anointed, they're just annoying. So there's a difference. You have to hear from heaven as well. So don't obey every minister just because they have a priestly garment on because men and women of God sometimes are not always led by the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. So if there's somebody that tells you to do something and you feel the witness in your spirit by the Lord, obey and do it and see how God will bless the obedience and the work of your hands. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the meal did not run dry. There was a widow with only a little bit of oil in First King or Second Kings chapter four, verses one through seven. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elijah said unto her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Sometimes the miracle is in your house, but you don't know it. There was a man who uh, started tithing. This is a true story. And the minute he started tithing, terrible things started to happen. He lost his job the next day. But he had one more check coming. So the check came. He says, I'm not going to give up on this tithing thing. So he ended up giving again. And then plumbing in his house broke down. And the plumbing did just break down a little bit. And he said, I'm not backing off on this giving thing. I've lost my job. Now I've given again. The plumbing's gone bad in my house. So then he gets a plumber out. And because of the extensiveness, and this is years ago, it was like a $3,000 plumbing bill. They literally had to go back and they had to knock out the wall and they had to fix some pipes back there. So now he had to go get a loan. So now he has no job. Now he's got a plumbing problem. Now he still has no job and now he's got a $3,000 loan. And when they went in to knock out the wall so they could fix the plumbing, they found in this house that they had bought these bags with baseball cards in them. And they were old baseball cards that somebody had hidden in the wall of a previous owner. And they were very old. They pulled them out and found out that they were prized baseball cards. Some of them were worth a lot of money. And this man then took them in. He owned the house. He owned everything. And he took them in. He was able to pay off his house with the baseball cards. So sometimes you think things are getting worse when God is setting you up for a miracle to make them better. The miracle was in his house, but he knew it not. Had he not sowed and began tithing, he probably wouldn't have lost his job, probably would have stayed. God would have blessed the work of his hands some level. But because what happened was he literally had been <laughs> tested on the word of the Lord and he didn't back down, things got worse. And then the miracle was in his house. So the widow with only a little bit of oil, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take away my two boys as his slaves. Bad situation. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all here except a little oil. God can take whatever your little is, like the woman with the two pennies and God blessed her when she gave... Your servant, by the way, this is not really a giving message. It's not a tithing message. It's a message about, but it just keeps coming up. There's a thread here, and I want to follow the leading of the Lord. And for those uh, drinking Haterade online, just enjoy it, sip it, enjoy it. And, you know, you might want to pour it out and get the cup of the Lord, but you might even want to sow a seed yourself, break the curse. That's right. I'm, I'm challenging you. That's right. So Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? The servant has nothing at all except a little oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. So now she has nothing in her house. Now she's going to go borrow empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Remember, the prophetic word of the Lord will move you into action. And God blesses your obedience to the prophetic word. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him afterwards, shut the door behind her 
and her sons. They brought the jars to her. See, they blessed, God blessed the work of their hands. They participated in the miracle. They saw with their own eyes what was happening behind closed doors. God did the miracle in this secret place. Sometimes you have to shut yourself in with God to see the supernatural really manifest. And those that are close to you will be able to see it as well, and others will not know how it happened. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not another jar left. The oil stopped flowing then. You want to know when the oil stops flowing once you step into a miracle? When your faith runs out, that's when the flow stops. If she'd have gathered all the jars in the city, it would have flowed into all of them. So whatever your faith, there was a man who was a king, he banged the arrow three times. And Elijah was angry. You should have banged him five or six times. Now you will only defeat your enemies three times. Do you see the power that God did with what was in the king's hand? He could have delivered an entire nation had he just banged those arrows three, two or three more times. But his level of faith limited what God did why does it work that way? I don't know. Like I said, if I was God, I wouldn't work it that way. I wouldn't trust man. Maybe that's why God sent Jesus to cut covenant because he can be trusted. Amen? There's not a jar left, then the oil stopped flowing. So she went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay all your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Supernatural debt cancellation. Artisan gifting for silver, gold, cutting of stones, wood carving, Exodus 35, 30 through 35. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezael, son of Uri, the son of Ur, the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and ability, knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artisan designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. Do you know artistry is a gift from God. And if you'll yield that gift to God, he'll do beautiful things through it. And he has given both him and Oholiab, the son of somebody I can't pronounce, Ahasamach, the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. You know, some people have an anointing to teach artisan gifts. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. You want to know what happens when somebody has a gift from God, they're master craftsmen and designers, and they don't yield to the Lord with it. They become master designers in the world, and they get under a different spirit of mammon and becomes lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. And that retirement plan is also out of this world, but it's in possibly the smoking section versus the non-smoking section. And the three most important things are in, in eternity, our location, location, location. So he blesses the work of your hands. You want to yield it back to him. Some people are gifted for war. Second Samuel twenty-two thirty-five. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel breaks in my hands. You know how hard it is to break a bow of steel? But when you're anointed, you can do it. You have supernatural strength. I had a friend of mine. He was a a prophet and an evangelist. He won about 1.8 million to Christ. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he would go to third world countries. He had what was referred to as a cane breaking anointing in third world countries. A lot of people suffer with back problems that are a demon. It's like generational or a demon gets in their back. It bends them over. So they walk around, they've got this cane and they would literally hand him up the cane because they knew he was the prophet with the cane breaking anointing. I don't know if you know how hard it is to break a cane in, in two. They're, they're intentionally not easy to break because People could fall and they would break. But he would grab that thing and he would snap it over his leg. And the minute it would snap, they would stand straight up. And people would just line up. He said he did 100 in one night at this service with 10,000 people. It was an epidemic problem. And he said he couldn't believe it because every time he would break one, it would just snap over his leg. Other people would try it. They'd almost break their leg trying to snap the cane. He said it was a cane-breaking anointing. And every time they would pop right up. It wasn't like they would just get better. They would pop up because it was a demon. So he had a cane breaking an anointing. So there's an anointing for different things. He said to me one night, I tried it outside of the anointing. He goes, it didn't work. I, I was sore for a week. He says, but under the anointing. Clay pots and torches, Judges 7, 18 through 22. When I blow with the trumpet, 
I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp. And they said, The sword of the Lord and Gideon. So Gideon and the one hundred and the hundred men that were with him came into the house outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle of the watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. God doesn't need weapons of war. He needs obedience to the Lord. And they broke the pitchers in the hands of the three companies, blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets on their right hands, blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. Even throughout all the host, the host fled to Bethshitta and Zarephath and to the border of Abel, Mahola unto Tabith. The point is this, when they obeyed to do what God told them at the leading of the Holy Spirit and blew the trumpet and broke the clay pots, then God's anointing came and moved the enemy to slay each other. They didn't have to fight the battle for the battle was not theirs, but the Lord's. The obedience was theirs. Their battle was obeying. God never has a problem defeating our enemies. He has a problem getting us to yield to the enemy, really, which is us, our own human will. So we're going to close out. Jawbone of a donkey judges, and Samson found a new jawbone of a donkey, and he put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. In 2 Samuel 6, 5, David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. God anointed and blessed the work of their musical hands. Martin Luther in the year 1511 in Wittenberg, Germany, had an ink pen and parchment in his hand. The pen is mightier than the sword. He partnered with God and wrote 95 statements. The Holy Spirit gave him down on a paper, pounded these onto the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany in 1511. And that's what caused the great reformation of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, not of works or church affiliation, lest any man could boast, but it's the free gift of God. Martin Luther had nothing but an ink pen and a voice. He had a dream from God. And they partnered and equal rights were birthed in the 1960s because Martin Luther King had a dream. The prophets and the apostles had ink pens in their hands, partnered with the Holy Spirit and wrote the Bible. 39 different authors, 1,400 years, 66 books, and one partner, God. Jesus with water to wine and Paul with handkerchiefs and aprons in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12. God anointed the apostle Paul in so much that handkerchiefs and apron were taken from his hands and they were sent out. And people that touched those handkerchiefs and aprons, there was a transference of the anointing. When demons came out of people, Peter's shadow healed the sick and cast out devils. Acts chapter 5. Verse 15 through 17. What's in your hand tonight? Are you a digital warrior on the internet? Are you a surgeon? Are you a plumber? Are you a writer? Are you a musician? Are you a stockbroker? Are you a dentist? What is it? Maybe you sell insurance. Whatever it is, that's your skill set. And if you'll raise your hands up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to bless the work of my hands. If you'll just do that right now, he'll begin to anoint the work of your hands. He'll often ask you to do something unusual as an act of faith. As he did with me and he does with others. And just say, Lord, I offer you the work of my hands. And I ask you, to now put your hand on my hand, even as you put your hand on Moses' rod, on the staff of authority, even as you put your hand on those oil vessels,
even as you put your hand on the barrel of meal, as she, the widow made that meal for Elijah, even as you bless the work of the hands of those artisans that built the temple in the Old Testament, the temple or the tabernacle of Moses, even as you blessed, Lord, Martin Luther, or write those 95 statements, or Martin Luther King in the 60s to bring reformation in that area, even as you blessed the hands of the boy giving the two fish and five loaves. Lord, you bless the work of our hands, whether it's and the internet, whether it's at our jobs. And we thank you for now. We just put our hands out to the world now, Lord. And we say, Lord, send your fire, send your love through the work of these hands. We yield them to you. These are holy hands. I'm lifting up holy hands. These hands are yours. And today these hands are holy. These are holy hands. I'm lifting up holy hands. These hands are yours. And Lord, make them holy. Father, I thank you for now anointing and partnering with everyone who's lifted up their hands to you. That you might do miracles and bless the work of their hands. It's in Jesus' name. We pray. We're also going to do communion. There's several people here. We have these uh, communion cups. If you want to do communion with us, we invite you to do it. If you don't have any communion cup where you're at, or if you're listening in an automobile, you can do a virtual communion cup. God will honor your active faith because he's the God who creates. One of the greatest encounters I ever had with God was in 1992. I was in Inglewood, Colorado at a medium level federal facility there. And I'd been born again about two years, and the Lord told me he wanted me to have, wanted to have communion with me. And I said, well, Lord, I don't have the elements. I, I don't have, you know, grape juice. I don't have uh, matzah. I can't get that here. And the Lord said to me, you have the elements. And I know this may really, you know, get a, a you know, stone in somebody's shoe who's really, really religious, but I'm just going to share with you what God did. And he said to me, you have the elements. I had a watered-down diet Pepsi with about you know, a quarter fill with some ice in the bottom that was all watered down. And I had a Suzy Q, which are these chocolate things. I would never eat one now. My wife would not be pleased if I eat that. But it was an exciting thing in prison. You know, we played a lot of, you know, racquetball and stuff like that. And I had a, maybe a little different metabolism back then that could eat all that high fructose corn syrup. But um, so these Suzy Qs, I, I went and I got my little plastic knife and I cut a piece off this Suzy Q with the two chocolate, you know, thing with the white, you know, high fructose corn syrup, syrup whipped cream that would last for years. And, <laughs> and so I took that as the, the bread of life because it's what I had to work with. And I took the watered down diet Pepsi because that was the elements that I had because God can change water into wine. He can change watered down diet Pepsi into Suzy Q into whatever he wants, you know. I'm not saying that's the thing you should go out and buy for communion, but it's what I had. And he blessed what I had in my hand. And as I got on my knees and I partook of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and I ate that Suzy Q, that piece of it, and I drank of that watered-down diet Pepsi, Jesus met me with his presence in such an impactful and memorable way. It is probably one of the top three greatest encounters I've had in 32 years of doing communion. So whatever you have in your hand, God will bless the work of your hand right now. So right now we partake of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture says, and do this in remembrance of me as often as you do it. I encourage you to take communion several times a week. And if you're sick, take it several times a day because as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. You know, what's interesting is when we do it in remembrance, we remember him broken, hung up for our hangups on the cross, and he remembers us when we remember him, right? Mm -hmm. 
Well, if you're dismembered, God wants to remember you or put you back together. There's an old saying, you know, childhood rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. I never understood why they never called upon the king himself. So today you might feel broken, you might feel like you fell off your wall, but God is now asking you to call on him and the king himself is going to put you back together because he's going to remember you today. Amen? Amen? So right now, Lord, we take your body broken for us in whatever element that we have, whether it's this, this, this cracker and this juice or whatever a person has in their hands. And I thank you for sending your angel to minister, the angel of your presence, the angel of healing, the angel of revelation, the angel of cleansing from sin, of torment. And I break the power of torment and anxiety and fear off of your life in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God who came to destroy the works of the enemy and to release healing, health, and wholeness to you. Right now, I also speak to fractured souls to be reintegrated as you partake of this communion, the meal that heals. Go ahead and take of the cracker or the matzah. Or the Dorito or whatever you have. Because God is blessing the work of your hands, your obedience to him. Thank you, Jesus. Right now. And Lord, we also partake of your blood shed for us. We command blood systems to be cleansed with fire right now. Fire. Everything that's come into your system, bacteria, viruses, parasites, mold, and every other thing that's not from the Lord. I command EMF poisoning to be broken right now off of your life and that to come out of your blood system. Electrosensitivity be broken. I declare divine reset right now. Divine reset. You can put your hand right on top of your head. Command all the electromagnetic frequencies to come back into harmony and balance in the Lord Jesus Christ right now to be reset. And all of the negative effects throughout your body, biological, emotional, relational, physical, (coughs) spiritual, we demand and command divine reset Right now, I command all the joints, the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons to come back into harmony and balance, back into perfect elasticity, back into the skeletal frame that they were designed in Adam before the fall in Christ. When he walked on this earth and after the resurrection, we receive all the benefits and blessings as you remember us as we take this communion that's in our hand. And we receive you now, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. God loves you and he's blessing the work of your hand. I'm David. This is my lovely wife. And there's Joanna waving. And so you have a great day, great night. And if you're listening on audio, visit us on virtualchurchmedia.com and share with God what's in your hand and he will share with you what's in his hand. And remember, his hand is much bigger than your hand. Come on. Okay.